0: Whitehead drives to the hole. hangs, and one. Isaiah Whitehead ties it up at 67. Outlet pass. Archidiacono. Front court. Slips. Fires and that's it. The Seton Hall Pirates. Defeat. Villanova. 69-67. And for the first time in 23 years their are Tournament champion. For the latest in Seton Hall basketball and Seton Hall athletics, this is Courtside Pirates with Chris Pazes. Miles Powell gives Seton Hall the lead with 1.1 second to go. What a shot by Miles Powell. Thompson shows it. Kale steps back, lets it fly. Pyong! Miles Kale. Seton Hall knocks off the number nine team in the nation, 84-83. What a win for the Pirates. This weekly podcast will recap every men's basketball game throughout the Pirates' season. Pound from Woo! What Trenton makes, the world takes. With special guests along the way, Courtside Pirates who will dive into the Pirates season after every game, giving you my thoughts and opinions as C Hall looks to return to the NCAA tournament. McKnight will inbound. Pow! They throw it up the mambo! Oh my goodness! This is Courtside Pirates with Chris Pazes. Pirates got back on track in the win column on the road against DePaul, but not in the traditional sense, that is for sure, after a blowout loss at Creighton earlier in the week heading into a week off before playing Xavier on Saturday. We get into both of these Big East games, as well as discuss the NCAA decision to move March Madness in 2021 to the state of Indiana exclusively. But first, I am beyond excited that this episode marks our first guess, and it is none other than the head coach of the Seton Hall women's basketball team, Tony Bazella, who joins me for a fantastic, honest, and raw interview while discussing the season so far. The impact of COVID-19 for his program, our previous experiences working together while at WSOU, and so much more. I was so honored that Coach Bazella wanted to come on Courtside Pirates and hope it will be the first of many times. Coach Bazell and my professional relationship with him goes back to the day he was introduced at Seton Hall as the new women's basketball head coach while I was the sports director at WSOU. Since then, nearly eight seasons have passed, and Coach Bozzella is still one of the greatest people you will ever find on the campus of Seton Hall. His interview will be coming up first, and I promise you, you will not want to miss it. As always... If you like what you hear, please subscribe to this podcast and follow along on Twitter at Pazes, that is at P A I Z I S for updates and new episode announcements. Above all, I would love to hear from you. Send over some questions on Twitter that can be answered on the next episode. Joining me now as the first guest on Courtside Pirates is none other than Seton Hall's women's basketball head coach, Tony Bazella, whose Seton Hall Pirates are 3-3 three three overall and 1-2 and in Big East play, coming off an impressive comeback win versus Providence and a tough fought loss to Villanova. Coach Bazella, thank you for joining us on Courtside Pirates.
1: Chris, I'm so excited. You know, I'm such a big fan of Courtside Pirates to, to get on. I was like, oh, this is really exciting. So I was so happy you
0: asked me. You know, Coach, I first, first off, I appreciate that and uh, very happy to have you on today. And I want to go back to earlier this week when your team rallied to defeat Providence, 77-71. Uh, you were facing a 12-point deficit, but the team came back uh, behind 20-point performances from both Maya Jackson and Laura Park Lane. How impressed with you were you with the team's performance coming out of your team's second program shutdown and pause, specifically with those two sophomores?
1: You know, that's a great point. It, it was, we had just finished our second pause and we had about seven practices. We called it a mini training camp. But, you know, we played a team like Providence that had won a lot of games that had yet to be paused. So, you know, we, I, I was with you before we even got on, in our last 40 days, we've had 26 off days. Like that's not ideal for anyone. So at halftime, I went in and I uh, and said, guys, <laughs> we just have to relax. We'll be okay. We're a good team. We've got to play much better defensively and get the jitters out, like stop. And, you know, we left the locker room and I was like, geez, I, you know, I just don't know if we have it in us. But those two sophomore guards we have are, are just tough kids, boy. And um, I'm excited they'll have three more years after this because this year doesn't count. And Lauren Barkley and Maya Jackson just, you know, put us on our back. And uh, with some help from, you know, Andre and Dez, we really, you know, locked them them up defensively and ended up taking the lead at the end of three quarters, which I thought was a big thing because um, we didn't want to go into the last part trailing. And then we were able to extend the lead up to nine. You know, they made a couple of baskets at the end, but we pretty much controlled the game from the fourth quarter on. And I was proud of the kids because it's hard. We hadn't had a lot of practices. You know, we have a new kid in the lineup right now, and um, we've played a team that hadn't been paused, and it showed that way. They really executed well.
0: You know, earlier this week, Maya Jackson was named to the Big East Women's Basketball Weekly Honor Roll uh, for the second time so far this season. She was efficient, 7-for-11 shooting from the floor at Providence, What has Jackson done well early this year leading to her success on the court? I think she's in great
1: shape, Chris, um, which is a big thing because we missed so much time. We've asked her to guard the other team's best player quite often. She's done a wonderful job of that. And she shot the ball well. Um, You know, Villanova, she really struggled. Um, I I was surprised. I thought she'd actually have a big game. But, um, you know, I think she put a little too much pressure on herself. (laughs) But she's a heart and soul of the team, Chris. Mm -hmm. She plays hard. She's a great kid. She works extra. <coughs> you know, I'm very blessed with her. I really am.
0: And, you know, looking at Desiree Elmore, uh, unanimous preseason All-Big E selection. Has played so well so far this year. But despite dealing with foul troubles versus Providence, she finished with 14 points in a game-high 11 rebounds, which was good to see, and five assists, and had 15 points versus Villanova. Where is Elmore right now versus where you want her to be by the end of the season? I think she's okay.
1: I, I think she's got a lot of room to grow I think her consistency needs to be better. I think against Villanova, she was tremendous in the first quarter, and she struggled in the last three quarters. Um, and that's not Des. We, In order for us to be an NCAA team, finishing the top four of the Big East, we need Des to be what she was in the first quarter against Villanova and probably the fourth quarter against Providence. And um, I just need more consistency out of her. I, I know she has an her. I think she has the abilities to play at the next level without a doubt. Um, you know, hopefully she'll come back next year, which I, I I, do, I I think she will, um, you know, work on her masters and then work on her game, but, you know, Chris, she's a really special player, with great instincts for the game, but she needs to be more consistent.
0: She really does. And, and, and touching on that point versus Villanova, where the team was trailing by six at half Elmore, like you said, led the way with 13 points, three rebounds and three assists, 11 of those coming in the first quarter. While Park Lane had 11, um, after being up 19-12 in the first quarter where the Wildcats had just 29% shooting, they were not shooting efficiently, what did Villanova do well? Or better yet, I guess, what did you guys not do better in that second quarter that led to that first half swing?
1: Well, the second quarter was a disaster. Um, we got out- rebounded um, um, by 10 offensive rebounds to zero. Um, they had 12 second chance points to zero. And we just, we got back on our heels and we took some we turned the ball over into some very bad shots. Third quarter, we came back, we tied the game, ended up taking a small lead going to the fourth quarter. In the fourth quarter, I think of our first eight possessions, we turned it over um, six times, and that's not us. We only had like four, six turnovers going into the last quarter, and we turned it over six times there, and that was disappointing, Chris. You know, we, you know, Lauren struggled in the fourth quarter, and she's been nothing but a superstar for us. Dez struggled, um, you know, Andre. We're asking him to play 35 minutes a game. She's only been here, you know, 10 days. And um, Maya Jackson really struggled, you know. And for us to only be down four with the ball and two and a half minutes to go says a lot about our grit and determination. But we got to play better in that fourth quarter and that second quarter. Second quarter was a disaster. We got out-hustled. They outworked us. We talked about halftime to the girls' credit. They came out and played really hard. Um, We missed our crowd. Like, we don't lose that game if we have a crowd because the crowd gives us energy, excitement, and, you know – we go to these other places, Chris, you know, they have big arenas or they don't have as many fans. We lost this game because we just didn't get that extra oomph we needed from our fans. And and it was it, it stinks. It really
0: does. Yeah. You know, looking at just sports around the country, you're noticing that difference where you're seeing players at home or on the road. It, it just it makes a huge difference, doesn't it? Total difference,
1: and you know, in a small arena like Seton Hall, where you know our thousand fans sound like ten thousand because we only hope you know only hold sixteen hundred, and then the, you know we had four sellouts last year. Like people don't realize, like our fans have really come out and supported us better than ever. And you know, we have our core fans that that we miss, you know, sitting behind our bench, but we also have all our other fans and the groups. You know, our marketing the um, department did a great job we had a lot of marketing i mean we had a lot of groups come to our games last year i mean we had four sellouts um we really miss that we don't lose at home very often and this year it's almost like a neutral site it stinks it's just it's just i w- truly believe we do not lose that villanova game um at all um if we have fans it's 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 honestly in the first quarter we take that 10 point eight 10 point lead and in the second
0: quarter we still have that energy and i think we we win the game actually going away uh, you're absolutely right. It's a totally different game at that point. Uh, yes. it just It's a different atmosphere, a different type of s- setting system for everything for Villanova going forward. But despite that, and I know you said Lauren Parklane struggled a little bit towards the end of the game, but she did score a game high 27 points on seven for 14 from the floor, 12 for 13 from the line. O- overall, she did have a very good game. And it was her third straight 20 point game in the first three of her career. Uh, total positive there, in my opinion, from her and, and as she continues to pr- progress at such a young age, but what about the rebounding as a team, uh, especially on the offensive boards? That to me, when I looked at the stat sheet coming into our interview today was just something that I really saw was the main discrepancy in a lot of ways. And what can you do now against Butler to kind of improve on that?
1: We're getting our ass kicked on the boards. We really are. You know, we lost Femi Fenuis to uh, um, uh, an Achilles injury in our second game. She was our, our rock behind, behind us. She was physical. She was tough. Uh, she cleared space. She was going to average eight to 10 rebounds a game. We lost her. And, and, and you know, that was a devastating injury. But we've got to come together and we've got to rebound as a group. You know, I said this to Maya Jackson you got to get a certain amount of rebounds. I said to LP, um, Lauren, you know, any of these long rebounds, go get. It's going to open up our transition. You know, and Maya and Dez and Andra, Maya Bembri, Andra, Dez, Alexia, they've got to do a much better job of boxing out. And we've got to be a lot more physical. We're not physical, we're soft. Villanova pushed us around the second quarter. We did battle back in the third and fourth quarter. We had seven offensive rebounds, and, and we kept. they only had three offensive rebounds. But you can't get dominated physically like we did in the second quarter. We're falling down. They're shoving us. They're pushing us. We weren't tough at all. And we made that clear in the locker room, and we're going to make it clear every day in practice. We don't get a lot tougher, Chris, Then our chances of finishing in the top four or five in the league are not going to be a possibility.
0: You mentioned Andra as part of that. And on the last episode of Courtside Pirates, we had right before um, the new year, I mentioned the fact about the, grant, the granting of the waiver uh, to be able to suit up this year for the spring and uh, still also being able to then be eligible next year, which is so huge. Uh, she's a dynamic guard who is just yeah. an incredible experience. Uh, she's last two seasons at Mississippi State where she helped lead the Bulldogs to a 69 overall record, number one seed a trip to the Elite Eight, spent her freshman year at UConn. What does she mean to the Pirates this season? experience this year um learning our system
1: um you know thankfully we have a tremendous senior women's administrator and Tatum colitz and, uh, and our compliance person and will um they, they, they you know they they they, they, they appealed to the ncaa we had just lost femi to an injury um we said listen this year doesn't count against anyone's eligibility anyway you know we we, we need the depth and and, and they granted us uh, i don't know how they wrote it up they were fantastic Um, But she, it's going to help us this year. There's no question. And in two and three weeks, she's going to make all those three she's missing now because that's her game. You know, with that being said, her experience, her understanding of the game, her brains like she made a couple really intelligent plays in in, in the Providence game, drew a charge, made a big basket, had a great steal, just using her brains. But more importantly, she's going to learn our system for next year. She's not going to be a newbie. She's going to be someone who's experienced. So next year, when we have, you know, pretty much everyone back because, you know, we, we, no one has to graduate. She's going to make a huge, huge difference. She's going to be a first-team World Big East player. She, she's that talented. Um, she's got tremendous,
0: tremendous knowledge of the game. She really does. I think what Pirate fans should really also look to, I know it's hard, like you said, with fans not there in attendance, but she was thrusted right into a starting role. She played 35-plus minutes, 11 points versus Providence, coming off of that pause, followed that up with 10 points and three rebounds versus Villanova. It's a small sampling, like you said. And, and at this point, it is her just learning the system but this is going to be a huge impact being able to now have her for next year.
1: It is and you know people you know people how can you start her? Well, you know, we had about eight practices and she earned her starting spot. I mean, there was no question, you know, part of the reason is we had an open starting spot because obviously Femi had gotten hurt. And it was funny. Maya Bembry started one game or two games after that night. And, and I sat down with Maya Bembry. and she's like, no coach B, you know, I can come off the bench. I'm really versatile. There's a lot of different, you know, I can play multiple positions. It'll just be easier for, for us. And, and I give Maya Bembry a lot of credit and she's going to be, you know, a really good player for us. But you know, Andra is just, she just brings a sense of, you know, I've been here before I've played at the highest level she, she, you know, she did not shoot well in the game yesterday. When I left the gym, she was shooting on the gun. She understands work ethic and responsibility and accountability. She's never late. She's shooting before practice. She'll be a great role model for a lot of the kids. And, um, you know, having her next year, you know, gonna, she'll be really good in another couple of weeks when she gets her legs back. But next year, she's going to be a star.
0: You're listening to head coach Tony of the scene hall women's basketball team on courtside pirates and coach, So many teams across the country have faced unprecedented adversity with programs that are forced to to pause their programs, including games. Uh, Your Pirates have now had to go through two separate pauses, which we mentioned. And both times, though, your team has come out of those with a win. Uh, A very impressive first season opener versus St. Peter's, uh, tying a career uh, mark in terms of a game performance for total points. And then against Providence to begin 2021. What has helped you, your staff, and your players get through the season to this day?
1: Well, I think our girls really want to apply. And I, and, and, and I think our training staff um, has done a great job. You know, Tony and Deja, our, our, our girl who takes care of us, uh, have done a great job of, you know, not only just, you know, keeping the kids as healthy as they can when they're with them, but also talking to them in the mental side of it. I think I'm blessed with a great staff. Um, they talked to the kids a lot when we were in um, pause. You know, I was very sick. I, I, I was you know, I couldn't even talk to them the last time I was that sick. Um, the, the staff did a great job. And you know, our kids want to play, but, you know, the average fan doesn't get it. Like someone said to me, um, you know, before the UConn game, I got an email, you know, this is a big game for you in the program. Come on, you got to win. I said, you guys, you need to take a, a, a relaxation pill here. We've been back from, at that point, we were back from, you know, a 14-day break for five days, and we had already played two games because we weren't supposed to play UConn the, that Tuesday. We it's supposed to play later in the week. But UConn needed a game to fill, and we said, listen, we'll do what's best for the league. And, you know, we've were, were the only we been the closest to anybody. We were down 38, 38 at half. We shot one for 14 from three, and I truly believe it was our third game in five days. We played without Andra, had just lost our starting center um, the game before. Uh, I thought we battled, and I think that goes back to my point why are we successful? Because we have kids like Lauren, Dez. these are battlers. Alexia is, is earned a starting spot, you know, they're battlers. And, and, you know, and I, I and I do believe that that's a big key for us. Um, we have to fight. We're still on demand, obviously. Um, but I think if we fight, you know, and get in a rhythm, we have to get in a rhythm, Chris, it's, you know, you can't take another break. It it's just, it's just, you never catch up. You know, that seven day break was, over the holidays, it was tough. But, you know, we had seven or eight practices to practice for, uh, for Providence. You know, we have four teams or five teams right now in the Big women's woman shut down. It's hard to come back from. It really is. And it takes a strong mental kid. And our kids have done a great job of that. Uh,
0: just hearing you talk about it kind of puts even more into perspective what really you're going through. Not only just you, but your, your players and your staff day in and day out. And I think being someone on the outside looking in, a lot of times people take it for granted. You know, they want to see results and it doesn't matter what it is. But I think the important thing to note is that at the end of the day, you and your players, no different than any other team in the country, they're doing this because they care and they want to play. They're not doing this because of any other reason. You want to you they wanna, wanna play.
1: They want to play. I mean, this is what we tell our kids. Come to practice. Take a test. Are you, you, know, are, are you okay? Hour later, they let them know. Go to the practice. Practice two, three hours, you know, with lifting and film and all that stuff. Now go back to your room and stay there the whole time. Don't leave every day. That's really hard. Think about it. You know, I get to go home. I get to drive around. I get to go shopping. I can do whatever I want. We tell them, go back to your dorm room and stay there. Have food delivered. It sucks, but they're doing it because they do love Seton hall and they do love to play the sport. And I give them a lot of credit for that.
0: You know, with all that, going into the preseason, being that there was so much uncertainty, the team was tabbed six in the conference, which in my opinion has always been taken with a grain of salt because I do not, take those rankings at the beginning of the season to mean much anyway. It's about how you play throughout the year. With everything going on, where do you feel the team is right now in terms of where the expectations you had for them at the beginning of the year versus where you want them to be at the end of the year?
1: You know, going through the sickness that I went through, going through the two pauses, seeing what the girls have had to overcome. We have eight, eight of our 16 girls have had the virus. You know, some of them had it worse than others, but all of them have had it. There's a mental aspect to that as well. You know, I do think we're an NCAA team. I think it's so hard to judge. We've only, we only got to play three non-league games, one of them without three, two, th- three starters. Um, you know, so we're really not going to be judged on that. I think you have to finish in the top four, maybe five of our league. Yesterday's loss was, was really tough. Um, that's a team that's really the third best team in our league. Um, them and Marquetta, three and four. We have to beat them to make the tournament. We know that. Um, and um, that was a tough loss. And now we face a, a gauntlet of the schedule. You know, I was on with the big East, schedule um, scheduled person yesterday, very angry. And, um, I thought it was unfair. We, they, we have us going to Butler on Monday, going to Yukon on Wednesday, which would be the second time we play Yukon before four other teams have even played them yet. Then we fly home and play drive home, play Marquette on Friday and then play Butler again on Sunday. So you're asking us to play four games in seven days. There's a lot of travel there with not a ton of practices since we've left, um, Um, You know, the answer I got is, well, we're COVID. You got to figure it out. You got to do it. And of course, but I said, this is the second time we're accommodating UConn. So we're not supposed to play UConn Wednesday. We're supposed to be off, but UConn needed a game because everyone else canceled. So again, we're trying to do what's best for the league, but we're not getting any, we're not getting minimal cooperation from the league. Um, And I'm hoping that changes. Um, I feel we have a very good team that we can make the NCAA tournament. I think this week is going to be a gauntlet. And if you told me, you know, we had, we, we can win X amount of games this week. You know, I don't know what that X number is, but you know, we got to win a few of them and it's gonna be hard. You know, we're on the road, we go to Indiana, then we go to Connecticut and you know, you're flying there, you're getting no sleep. We have no practices this week cause we play every other day. It's just game prep and it's hard. You know, some of these kids, you know, need practice and need to get better. Our younger kids are talented, but I haven't had a chance to play them in a non-league game really. Cause we only played, three and it was all in a five day span and you're trying to get your starters
0: reps. Um, they played a little bit and now all of a sudden we're in big East play. And you talk about that, a stretch of five games in 11 days in three different States. Yep. And it was announced yeah. and it was announced originally that Yukon, which was supposed to be scheduled for February 10th, which is my birthday. So I was really much oh, looking nice. forward to that. I was looking forward to that game on that day is now moved up to January 13th. And in hindsight, it might be good to get that Yukon game, Out of the way and done midway through January, but as discussed in terms of the way the schedule is now coming together, in your mind, does UConn's addition to the team to the conference hurt or help your program overall? Well,
1: that's a great question, and you know, one of just getting back to the UConn game, what angers me about playing them so again so early is, you know, one this will be our playing them again with minimal rest two we would have played them twice in this COVID year while you're scheduled to play everyone twice are you really going to so are we going to be taken advantage of and really be saddled with two losses while a school like Marquette might not even play them so that's two more losses that Seton Hall gets and Marquette's not even get so again I brought this up with the league and the league has no answer for it and that's really disturbing in itself to be brutally honest with you but getting back to, you know, your, your other question, um, you know, I, I, I think, you know, UConn is going to help us in recruiting. I think it's going to help us in publicity. Their staff couldn't be better people. They don't talk – Gino doesn't talk about UConn. talks about the Big East and UConn. In fact, when I was sick, him and Chris Daly reached out to me the first day they found out. So they, they, they do love the Big East. They do want to be part of the family. And I think that's important. I think that's going to help us. And I think as we all get better, then it's going to be better and better and better. I mean, we played them really tough in our gym. Like only down eight points with no crowd. It would have been sold out, you know, shooting one for 14 from three because it was our fourth game in seven days again. Like, so I'm I mean, I'm excited they're in the league. I, I am. And I will say our Big East tournament will now be in Connecticut. And when fans are allowed to go, our fans actually can show up because we can drive there as opposed to when it used to be in Chicago playing in DePaul before nobody there. So I think there are a lot of advantages, um, starting with, you know, the brand and and, and, and all that stuff. I, I just think, you know, we have to embrace them. We have to help them. That's why we've been willing to move our two games because Gino is a friend, but I'm also doing what's best for the league. I just wish the league would help that – think about doing what's best for Seton Hall every now and
0: then. And that hasn't been the case recently. And I'll, and I will say this, you know, anyone can say what they want about UConn Uh, Gino clearly cares about the big East. That is evident. He always has, he, he has, he's always embraced that this conference and he's always done the best way he could to advocate for it in every way. And that goes into what happened earlier in December uh, where flow sports became the digital home of the big East women's basketball. And, I've been a big proponent of just finding ways to, you know, get the women's game out there, especially at scene hall. I've had great experiences working on WSOU with you personally co- traveling with the games and uh, between flow sport, working with the biggest digital network and creating original content. What are you seeing right now as a commitment level to grow the awareness of the conference and the women's game as a whole?
1: Well, I, I think, I think obviously you kind of has a huge step in that because of the SNY games and SNY does a wonderful job. Um, you know, obviously, they're UConn's home station, but you know their announcers, their pregame show, um, they are well-versed in all of the Big East. So I'm really impressed with that. So SNY has been great. Fox Sports 1 has been an excellent partner. I think this year we have a lot of issues in terms of non-equality in the games, but a lot of it is because of programming and changing. But they have been a great partner. Flow Sports, I'm interested in. I don't like the idea that you have to pay for it. I think the Big East needs to come to a way where we need to pay for this and figure this out because it's not fair to our parents and our and, and, and our fans that they're paying to see this. And, you know, while it's not exorbitant in price, it's still 15 to $20 a month. And, you know, it's, it's not cheap, but I do think they'll do a good job. I think the announcers the Big East Tires starting with our own John Fanta to, um, to Kim Adams, to, um, you know, um, a lot of the others, they, they do a great job. You know, um, one of my friends, Phil Stern, is on this now. Um, he's an ex-coach. So they're hiring really good talent. And, and I think it helps a lot.
0: You know, I, I go back and we, we talked about this right before we actually started this interview. Uh, I'm not sure if you remember, but when you were introduced as head coach of the women's team, uh, you came to WSOU to speak. And that was when I was sports director my senior year. And you said to me that when you started at Iona, you would never leave unless the Seton Hall job became available because that's how much you love this university. And you're not the only one that's ever told me that. Uh, Pat Lyons also talked about that publicly as well in that story, being that he was at Iona at the time as well. And now nearly eight seasons later, what has it meant to you to be back at Scene Hall and just rejuvenate this program with the success that you have? And I know you're going to give credit to the players for this, but what has it meant to you?
1: I got you credit to Pat Lyons for he hired me.
0: <laughs> and you know, he's still a
1: good friend, he's still a good friend to, the, to me to this day. And, you know, he, he helped me. He, we had a lot of, um, you know, uh, challenges when we first started. And we would never have been successful without Pat helping us with those challenges. But, you know, I, I love it at Seton Hall. You know, and now I have an AD who's a Seton Hall alum. And that means a lot, too. Because Ryan Felt, you know, and his family, you know, they believe in, you know, care. And this is their dream job, too. So, you know, we have a lot in common, Brian and I, and, you know, and he cares very deeply about the university as do I, and, you know, now having a, a you know, we've had some great presidents before me, but, you know, um, now Dr. Nyer, I knew him from my own. Um, I think he has a great vision. I think he's wanting to take us into the 21st century now building and doing these things that we need, but I love it. And I say this to all my recruits, Chris, and I think, you know, we get a lot of transfers, because a lot of times the first time you tell a kid it's about the people, they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Everyone says they have great people. And then they go to school X, Y, Z, which, you know, might have a newer dorm and might have a newer gym, which we're all going to correct here with Dr. Nyer and Pat and Brian Felt, but they don't have the people that Seton Hall has. You know, Dr. Joyce Stroud is the star of the business department. I called her on a Saturday to get Deja Simmons, who turned out to be one of the greatest players to ever play here as a transfer. And she met, her, she met with her on a Saturday. Like, what dean of the, any school would ever do that? She's like, no, I'll come in. And she was an amazing, amazing, she is an amazing person. And she, you know, exemplifies what Seton Hall is about. It's about the people. It really is. That's why I love it. It's not about, you know, we have this and we have that and stuff. And I love everything we have. I, I wouldn't trade our gym for anything. I, I wouldn't. But, you know, we are going to update it and it's going to be beautiful because, that, you know, Seton Hall does a great job with that. But it's about the people. You know, I work for a great boss. He's a Seton Hall alum. My SWA couldn't be a better person. You know, she's on the phone with me for hours and they don't have to be, but that's who Seton Hall is. Jimmy O'Donnell, you know, I mean, he's amazing. You know, I mean, he's been here, you know, forever. And he handles all our travel and all our stuff. And I could just walk into Jimmy's office, even when I'm frustrated with, you know, just life and and I could talk to him. And there's not a lot of administrators like that. Jim Semerad is another Seton Hall alum, you know, he's worked here a long time. He's the ticket office. Now he's, you know, you know, uh, you know, associate AD in charge of business
0: affairs because Seton Hall is about the people. And that's what I love about, it. you know, and to your credit coach, uh, a lot of that goes back to you as well. Uh, there's not been a single person that I've ever spoken to about you that doesn't have nothing but great praise to say about you and how lucky Seton Hall is to have you. So I hope you know that. And I saw it firsthand. Uh, I was at WSU for four full years before you got here. I was lucky enough to be here during grad school and, and get to travel with you and the team and not just myself, but the entire WSOU staff at that time, where we never had that type of exposure to a team like that you gave us right away. It meant so much to us. And it just gave our experience at WSU such a better experience. And I just want you to know that we, we all appreciated what you were doing for us back then and it's continued. Well, thank now. you. thank you. But yourself, Clayton Collier became a friend, when I was
1: sick, he sent me something. John Fanta still one of you know, good, good friends. You know, Sean St. Jock, you know, does my games now. You know, yourself. Like, we had some great, great people. And I love, I, I said this to you guys when you're at, this is the best sports talk radio show that we have around. You know, people talk about Fordham's. Ours kicks their ass. Like, you know, like, it, it was great. You guys knew it. You had different things. You did a, a professional show after, you know, on pros. Like, it was awesome. Like, you took... Calls, like, Hall Line is, I look forward to watching our men play. I really do. Like, I enjoy it. So I watch the game on TV. And I do listen to Gary, if I, you know, or, or your staff if I'm driving, depending on what I can get. But I never miss a Hall Line. Like, that show is great. Like, we have great callers. We have great hosts. It's amazing. Like, like that's as exciting as ever. And, you know, obviously, after a loss, the world's going to end. And after a win, we're going to win the national championship. So There's nothing better than that. I love our fans for that. But like we, you guys did such a great job, and I remember going to their studios a lot of times. It's like a family in there too. Like you know, I meet this young lady, and then this person, this person. You guys all got along great, and that again is Seton Hall. Um, you know, and and, and yeah, our success comes down to having great players. It really does. And the people at Seton Hall help me get those great players. They really do. Seton
0: you know, Hall women's basketball team returns to action on Monday, January 11th at Butler. And highlights of that game will be discussed at the next episode of Courtside Pirates as part of a stretch of, like we said, five games in 11 days in three different states coming up. Coach, in closing, what would you like to say to the Seton Hall community? I
1: love our, I miss our fans. I do.
0: I I do. Um,
1: I think we are in a very strong foundation. We have, you know, this whole team eligible to come back. Um, You know, we're excited with uh, one or two um, people that we have coming in as well. You know, Andre's already in now, um, which we didn't expect Um, you know, we're going to have a top 25 team. I truly believe that next year. Um, We have a dynamic backcourt with Lauren and Maya. I mean, Lauren is quite out of this world and Maya is great. Now you've had Andre, you have Des, you know, a variety of other people. We have really good young kids that people might not see this year only because of the fact of, you know, it's hard. There's no non-league games and everything, but you know, I I just can't thank the community enough. When I was, you know, and I was very sick. I'm not sure how many people know. I I was in the hospital for five days with, um, 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 things from COVID, I had had COVID and then just things come, came in and the, and the outgoing of reach from our president to obviously Pat, our vice president to everyone in athletics meant a lot to me. And, and a lot of fans sent me notes and helped me through this. Um, and that's what Seton Hall's about. And I can't thank the people enough. And and I just want them to know, you know, this is a hard year. And I know everyone wins and losses are important. I'm not going to tell you they're not. We want to make the answer to the as We believe we can, but you know, if we lose a game or win a game that seems off, you people don't understand what we went through. The girls might have been in their rooms for seven straight days. The girls might have been traveling, like you said, five games in 12 days. Like, you don't know what we're doing and what we're – well, we might get to – like, the last hotel we got, you had to wear your mask. You couldn't go out. Everything was, you know – you know, food delivered, you know, I mean, food in the hotel. Like, there's a lot of different pressures. Like, normally the girls, would, we would take the girls out. We would go to a, a professional basketball game. We would take them on an educational trip if we're there for a couple of days. You know what we do now? We sit in our rooms and wait. That's what we do. What's all what we're allowed to do. So, like, maybe you don't play as well, or maybe it's just frustrating. And, you know, there's just a lot of things that go this year. And I think while this year is always about wins and losses, this year is about development. And we return this entire team, and this backcourt with three more years of eligibility, they're gonna to be, to be tough. They are tough. You know, like Gino said, those two cars are a pain in the neck. Like, so, you know, I mean, she had 29 against them. They did a box and one on Maya. So, you know, they, they have showed us a lot of respect, and our girls have earned it. I give them
0: credit. Well, this season's still young, and the future's definitely bright with this team. And head coach of the senior women's basketball team, Tony Bazella. best of luck the rest of the way. And above all, Please stay healthy and stay safe. You and your entire team and staff. Uh, Thank you again for coming on Courtside Pirates and really look forward to having you again on here soon.
1: Great. It's been my pleasure. You know how highly I think of you and the professional work that you do. And uh, it meant a lot to me that you asked. Thank you very much. And go Pirates.
0: Heading into the game against the Blue Jays, the Pirates received 11 votes in the week's AP Top 25. For the first time this season, Heading into the road contest against number seven Creighton. In addition, following the week that Miles Kale was named the Big East Weekly Player of the Week, Sandro Mamukalashvili landed the top weekly prize after averaging 21 points, eight rebounds, and four assists in two huge Big East wins for the Pirates. The award marked the fourth time in program history that Scene Hall had players win the honor back to back weeks. The last time the Pirates visited Creighton, the Blue Jays were celebrating on the court with the Big East Championship trophy, raising a banner and cutting down the nets. Reminder, they were co-champions with Villanova and Seton Hall. While Creighton celebrated as if they had sole championship possession, the Seton Hall Pirates were in the locker room feeling as if they were failures. They were not. The only thing the Pirates failed was that game itself. In a 77-60 loss in the final game of the 2019-20 and 20 season. Who would have knew then that that would have been the final game of the season? They failed that game, but not the season. And they are just as much defending champions as Creighton or Villanova, despite what that celebration looked like and how it took place. The Pirates acknowledged then how much it hurt and the same pain was going to be used to motivate the team this season in their first game against Creighton on the road with so many returning players on both teams. However, it did not matter in this game. Seton Hall suffered their worst Big East loss since the 99-57 whalping blowout defeat versus UConn at home in 2006. Which, if you remember correctly, that Scene Hall team made the NCAA tournament. Against Creighton this past week, the Pirates were swept off the court in a terrible showing on the road, losing 89-53. to This game was so bad that it is not even worth harping on. When the game ended, I hope you just turned off the TV, went to bed, and know you lost to the number seven team in the country on the road and just move on. The Pirates could not compete, and Creighton showed why they are a top 10 team. Simple as that. The 1,700 or so fans in attendance definitely made a big difference as well. And I will say, it was nice to hear natural fan noise for the first time in a while. And who would, who would be thinking that that would be something that you look forward to in 2021? Natural crowd noise. I've said it before. If seen Hall were able to have fans at the Prudential Center, I'd be lining up front and center on Lafayette Street to get into that arena. Coach Willard chose to go small with the starting lineup, changing it for the first time this season. He added Molson into the starting five with Ike starting the game on the bench. It did not work, and Coach Willard acknowledged after the game that the loss, and as terrible it was, was because he was trying to get cute with the lineup and protect Ike. The decision led to Creighton jumping out to a 17-4 lead and went on stretches that absolutely killed the Pirates in the game. But he was confident they would bounce back, as everyone else should be at this point. The goal coming out of this game should be to regroup, recover, and move forward and play like the team that had just won 7 of 8 going into the night. I mentioned on the last episode of Courtside Pirates how crucial and how difficult this month of January was going to get. Creighton just shoved that reminder in the faces of every Pirates fan with this ugly blowout loss. Nothing worked. Creighton shot 59.6% for the game and made 13 three-pointers on the night as the Pirates snapped a three-game winning streak. Three-point shooting continues to kill this team on both ends of the court. Seen all shot just 17% from deep, going three for 18, compared to Creighton's 13 made. 13 made, 54.2% compared to 17%. How are you going to win this game? while Creighton's bench outscored the Pirates a staggering 33-14. to Ugly. Ugly, ugly game all around. I don't care about Mamu scoring 14 or the Pirates losing the way they did. I'd much rather have this one-off blowout loss once in a while, as I've always preferred that to these gut-wrenching close losses where you know you should have won. If it's an off night, let it be that. Move on and forget this game ever happened. My biggest concern is the point guard position, with Bryce Aiken re-injuring his ankle while stepping on Marcus Zagorowski's foot as he was slicing to the basket. The replay really showed how bad it was. You have to have sympathy for this kid who continues to struggle with injury after injury. After the game, the severity of his ankle injury was still unknown, but I have to believe he will miss at least the same amount of time, if not more, than he missed earlier this season. Shavar Reynolds needs help. He struggled in the game with turnovers, committing five to just one assist in the game. Coach Willard said Jahari Long will serve as the team's primary backup for now, keeping Takal Molson off the ball, which I think is a smart move, and put Molson back in a position where he thrives in and get Long the action he desperately needs to start having. Long got just eight minutes of action in garbage time, to end the Creighton game. But I expect him to get a lot more action moving forward with Aiken out for the foreseeable future and definitely in the game against DePaul, which we are going to cover on this episode as well. He did. The Pirates got back on track on the road against DePaul in a 76-68 to victory and are now winners of eight of their last 10 games and 6-2 and two in the Big East, matching the 1999-2000 team for the second-best eight-game start in program history. The only other team to start better is obviously last season's team that went 8-0. and Jared Roden continues to just impress me so much, leading this team with 18 points, 6 for 13 from the field and 6 or 7 from the line. Sandro notched 15 points and had 8 rebounds, while Kale had 11 points to Samuels 10 points and 7 rebounds. However, this game was anything but positive as the Pirates somehow managed to just win this game despite the second half in which the Pirates did not make a field goal in the final eight minutes and 57 seconds of the game. The reason that they even had a shot in this game was because the hole went 14 for 14 in the second half at the line and overall shot a staggering 87% on 20 for 23 shooting from the line. 52% from the floor and 23.5% from three. I mean, come on guys. You're telling me for eight minutes and 57 seconds, you could not make a single basket. They were lucky they were playing DePaul with that second half performance. Because I'll tell you what, otherwise, if they were playing pretty much anyone else in the conference, we would be talking about the complete inabilities of this team offensively and how they blew a golden opportunity to win another road game. A lot of this, I feel, has to do with Reynolds getting into foul trouble and ultimately fouling out of this game. I give Long credit for stepping in and playing 17 minutes. He did okay. He will continue to do better. He made some nice passes, but Reynolds, who had seven points and four assists, is starting to get into foul trouble in these Big East games. He needs help defensively. I, like many other Pirates fans, usually hate when the team has to travel to DePaul. It is an ultimate trap game. They are typically not a good team and rarely have more than a few hundred fans in attendance in a non-COVID situation. And I just always feel that this team is going to find ways to lose on the road against them. Luckily, the Pirates prevailed because of an efficient first half where they led 40-28 to 28 at the break despite being outscored in the second half 40-36. to 36. They cannot do this again against Xavier in a week from now at home. I don't think you have to worry about that, but it's just a fact. They can't do this again. I also think this week off really is going to be very beneficial for the Pirates. Unlike a lot of other Big East teams like Villanova, UConn, and DePaul, the Pirates have had a ton of games already this season. Some of the most in the nation at this point, in fact. This week off does three things. Gives the Pirates a mental break for the games to prepare and focus on the rest of the season. Allows the team to finally get some consistent practices in, which will greatly help Jahari Long's development. And finally, it will allow Mamu to get the rest he desperately needs. The Pirates cannot have him be burned out down the stretch, with some of the toughest games on the schedule still to come. This week off could not have come at a more important time for this season. Finally, Congratulations are in order to head coach Kevin Willard on his 100th Big East win when including conference regular season and tournament wins. It is so crazy to think that I have been covering Coach Willard or watching as a student and alumni for his entire tenure. We have seen a lot of lows early in his tenure, but certainly many incredible highs over the last five seasons. The Pirates are without question lucky to have Coach Willard for these 11 seasons. And his development of players is the reason he has hit these milestones. He has built a winning culture in South Orange with hopefully many more milestones to come. The NCAA announced that the entirety of March Madness will be held in Indiana this year in what was an inevitable decision. Selection Sunday will be on March 14th, and honestly, it will be here before you know it while the Final Four will take place on April 3rd and the 5th. This was the right decision by the NCAA. With so many teams participating, it logistically makes the most sense for the safety of the players, coaches, and staffs to create a bubble scenario for this year's tournament. It also gives the NCAA the highest likelihood to get through a full tournament with as little risk as possible of an outbreak. But earlier in this episode, when you heard from Coach Bazella, he talked about the strain that isolation is having on players. A month-long bubble of strict isolation is going to be extremely difficult for these college students. Let's not forget they are college students. You are either in denial, unaware, or do not care that this will in fact be an extremely difficult situation on the mental health for these teams. There's no question about that. Coach Bazella said it best. This is brutally tough on his players and players across the country but they are doing this because they love the game and want to compete. After the way last season abruptly ended, being able to have a safe and successful NCAA tournament should be the NCAA's only priority. Moving March Madness to Indiana provides the best avenue, though, to make this happen. This brings us to our closing segment, Courtside Perspective. a lot of frustration has been said about the omission of Sandro Mamou Kalashvili to the 25-man Wooden Award midseason watch list. While four Big East players were named, Creighton's Marcus Zagorowski, Connecticut's James Buchnight, Villanova's Jeremiah Robinson Earl, and Colin Gillespie, I really can't wait until I don't have to say his name anymore, Mamou didn't make the cut. Now, it is important to know that this is not the final list and players can still be added as the season continues. I personally feel, though, it was very fair that he wasn't added. He's a very good player, no doubt, and certainly a top-tier player currently in the conference with an incredible skill set for a player his size. But his play, in my opinion, hasn't been won an award worthy. It hasn't. He has stretches of greatness, no doubt, but to say he has to be on a list for the mid-season top 25, in my opinion, would be a bit biased. If he were on it, would I say he did not deserve it? No. He's playing near that level, but I am not going to say he is at that level consistently enough to warrant the addition. I will likely get some heat for this opinion, but it's just how I feel. He needs to play better, and I think he will, but he needs to show it on the court consistently. If you enjoyed this podcast, please feel free to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Anchor, and search Courtside Pirates with Chris Pazis. Also, Feel free to follow me on Twitter at Pazes and let me know what you thought about this episode and send over any questions you may want answered. Special thanks to head coach Tony Bozzella of the Seen Hall women's basketball team who took the time out of his schedule to join me as the first ever guest on Courtside Pirates. The next episode will go live on Monday, January 18th following Seen Hall's home game against Xavier at Historic Walsh Gym. Again, my name is Chris Pazes. Thank you for listening. We will see you next time on Courtside Pirates.